Hope College, it's my great privilege to introduce one of our own, Clay Purvis, who's a junior who's taking up the burger challenge. He has memorized John 1, 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us through Clay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things have come into being through him. And without him, not one thing has come into being. What has come into being through him was life. And that life was the light of all people. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens all people, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, but the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to those who received him and those who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, born not of the blood, or the will of the flesh, the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified and cried out, it is he whom I have said, he who comes after me but ranks ahead of me because he was before me. For through his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Indeed, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, good place of love. You too, my friends, still have time to accept the burger challenge. It will be a burger that will transform your life. It will be as if you would taste the very manna of heaven. All you need is to internalize John 1, 1 through 18. What you just heard, what you just heard is called the prologue. It's the inauguration to the gospel of John. And if you're just joining us this semester, this is where we have been indwelling. We want to get this story deep into our bloodstream so that we can live it out. What I'm hoping is that you will discover that you can keep coming back to the same scripture again and again and again and never exhaust its meaning. For the scripture is a bush that burns and is never consumed. What I'm hoping for is that you will begin to groove this scripture deep into your soul like the best music pressed into vinyl. And at any time and at any place that you are in need, you can just put the needle down on that spinning disc and you can hear the overture of the great themes of the gospel because it will be inside of you. The prologue. The prologue is the overture to the symphony that is God's, John's gospel. And if you internalize it, you will have within you the themes of the epic narrative we call the gospel. And this is what the prologue introduces us to. It inaugurates us into the epic narrative of God's large covenant story of Israel that reaches far beyond Israel itself 
to invite all people at all times and in all places into a new life with a new power and a new identity, a new sense of belonging, a new name. It's an epic, and we need epics. Our lives are lived by the stories that we claim, or more precisely, the stories that claim us. What makes an epic interesting or significant is the conflict or the problem that it's tr that's trying to be solved. The greater the problem becomes, the greater the epic story. Odysseus is trying to get home to Penelope. Frodo has to journey into Mordor to destroy the ring of power in the fires of Mount Doom in order to save Middle-earth. Luke Skywalker has to face his fear and confront his father and restore balance to the force. The greater the conflict, the more dramatic the struggle, the more interesting the story. And this is one of the reasons why I love the gospel so much. The gospel is marked by a conflict where the greatest problem facing humanity is solved. The gospel is a true epic of a God who finds a way to bring light, to restore light for a world that is lost in darkness. The gospel is the true story of a God whose yes overwhelms all of our no's. I don't know a better text in the scriptures, the entire canon, that captures this epic drama of the gospel so clearly and succinctly than the prologue. And within the prologue, I know no better concentration of that gospel story than John 1, 10 through 13. And that's where I want us to dwell tonight, just in these three verses. He was in the world, and the world came to being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. This, this is it. This is the entirety of the large covenant story of God concentrated in three verses. In these few verses, we find the scale of the epic drama of the gospel concentrated. Get this inside of you, at least these three verses. Play it over and over again and let its truth groove down deep into the being of your existence. And if you do, you will get the story of God inside of your life. And in doing so, I believe with all my heart that you will find life. Did you notice that this epic, this story pivots around a conflict? The conflict of the gospel pivots around a rejection and an acceptance, around a no and a yes. The no. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. This is the dramatic moment of the epic. He was in the world, and the world came to being through him. The creator enters creation. It's mind-blowing. It's a startling claim. The fullness of God is concentrated in a single person, in the prologue, John calls him the Word made flesh. Others will say that he is Emmanuel, God with us. 
Others will call him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But most simply and most commonly, he is known simply as Jesus. The Apostle Paul will describe Jesus this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things came to being, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things came to being through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. This is the one who was in the world, and the world came to being through him. The world holds together in him. Everything we see, feel, taste, and touch bears existence to him. Everything that you pay money to study has some correspondence back to this word made flesh, to this Emmanuel, to this one named Jesus. Every human cell and every blade of grass, every star in the sky, every bird in the air, and every fish of the sea, every ray of light and every molecule and strand of DNA, Every person everywhere is a consequence of him. All things are through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. He created all things and he entered creation, and yet, and yet, the creation, the world, did not know him. He was not recognized, he was not welcome, he wasn't accepted. The world said no. The world preferred darkness to his light. That's the conflict. That's the problem. The saying no to God. And what is worse, what is even more tragic is his own people, those who were waiting with anticipation for the promise of the Messiah, those who were heirs to the covenant promise, they also did not accept him. He came to his own, and his own people did not take him. This is an allusion, of course, to Israel and to the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, the covenant promise to Israel, the covenant promise that is binding always to God. God says, even if you say no to me, Israel, I will always say yes to you. God says, to Abraham, I'm going to bind myself to you and your descendants forever. And your descendants will number the stars in the sky. And through you, I will bring salvation, freedom to all. Through you, I will bring light into the world. Israel, God's chosen people, God comes for them. And they say no. They're waiting, waiting for so long. Can you imagine? And then one day, after years of waiting, of praying, of worshiping, of living in the darkness, with only the candle of a covenant hope flickering to guide them forward, it happened. The source of all things, God himself, came to Israel. He showed up. He made it personal. He took the time to put on flesh. He came as God's eternal light to overwhelm all their darkness. But when he showed up, Israel, his own people, they said, no, we don't want you. Now, some said yes, but most turned their back. Maybe it was because Jesus was not the Messiah that they were expecting. Maybe it's because the hardest thing to ever receive is that which we most desire. And when what we most desire is standing in front of you, it feels, good to, it feels too good to be true, and we let it go by. We often say no, to, what's mo to what we most want in life. It's ironic, but it's true. 
But whatever the reason, Israel said no to the God's promised light for the darkness. They preferred to walk in the darkness with a book of laws rather than a restored relationship and grace. This is the conflict. This is the drama. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. This is our story. But it is important to remember that this is especially the story of God. God's story is marked by rejection. The conflict of the gospel epic is a consequence of the world and his people's no. Rejection is hard. To hear a no is painful, especially if you have expectations or hopes for a yes. Maybe you have tried out for a team and they said thanks, but no thanks. We want somebody bigger, faster, stronger. Maybe you rushed and didn't get a bid. No, you're not fit for our house. Try again next year. Maybe you've been in a relationship and the person you had put a lot of hope in said, you know, it's not you, it's me. But you know that it's partly you. <laughs> Maybe you applied for that job and you had a lot of hopes in it. And the employer said, we just want somebody with more experience or a different fit. Rejection's hard, it's painful. Some of the biggest dramas in life come from rejections. In my own life, I, when I was a senior in college, I got engaged. I was in love to a girl named Melissa. We dated, we dreamed, we talked. I bought a ring, I proposed, she said yes. And then about four months later, I could tell something was off. There was distance in her eyes. All of a sudden, our conversations became aloof. I asked her what was wrong, and she didn't say anything. I asked again, and a month went by. And then she told me she wasn't sure that she actually loved me. And she handed the ring back. She said no to me. I, I was all of 22. 21, 20-something. 20 I was devastated. I spent the rest of a good part of the next year and a half, maybe two years, just picking the emotional shrapnel out of my soul. And for a long time after, I never trusted my heart to anyone again. I would never let anyone get in and hurt me like that. So I just walled myself off, poured myself into studies, thinking that it's good to be alone. I would never trust my feelings like that to another. I would never be that embarrassed. I would never be that hurt. So I thought. Rejection is painful. The world did not know him, though he made the world. His own people did not accept him, though he made a promise to them and bound his life to them forever. It had to be hard for Jesus. It had to be painful to enter the world you created and to have that world reject you. I imagine it would have been easy for Jesus to walk away. I imagine it would have been tempting to turn his back. Well, they don't want me, fine. 
They won't love me back. They won't receive my love. Okay, I'll leave them in the dark. But Jesus does not leave us in the dark. God does not leave us in the dark. Instead, he sends the light, the true light, Jesus, the word and flesh, creator and creation, to enter the darkness and to overwhelm it once and for all. And here again is the good news. The darkness, the darkness, the darkness cannot ever overcome the light. To hear a no is painful. But God does not take our no as a final answer. And this is the good news. This is the gospel. Even as the world and Israel say no to Jesus, Jesus continues to say yes to all who are in the dark. He continues to say yes to them and to us. He continues to extend himself as an invitation to a new kind of life. For Jesus is God's epic yes that overwhelms all of our no's. Our no is not sufficient to God. We say no to God, but God says yes to us over and over and over again. God's yes to us in Jesus. And this is the truth. God does not allow our no to drown out his yes. All he asks is that we say yes back to him, to believe in him, to trust him. The gospel, the good news of this epic is found in verse 13. Verse 13 is the pivot of grace. Verse 13 is the promise to Abraham fulfilled. Verse 13 is where God makes it possible for his descendants to shine like stars in the sky. Verse 13, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. This This is the verse for you and for me and for all people at all times and in all places. This invitation is to say yes to the God who says yes to us. The yes is to believe in his name. To believe is the big idea in John's gospel. To believe is an active trust in this God who promises to bind himself to us forever. To believe means we stop saying no to God and say yes to the God who says yes to us. This is the way to new life. This is the way to restored relationship, to say yes back to God. A yes can heal all the no's. It would be years later, nearly a decade after college. I'm in grad school in Scotland and I would meet a girl named Kristen. I won't lie, I liked her. I fell for her hard. I had feelings that I had not felt in a long, long time. But I could not trust my heart. I had been so hurt, and I didn't want to feel that hurt again. I distrusted love. Kristen, however, was God's grace to me. She came into my life, and she said to me, Trigvi, I'm saying yes to you. Her yes overwhelmed the former no in my life. It changed me. It was a gift, pure gift. And it gave me a new life. This is what God is offering in Jesus. He's offering us a new beginning, a fresh start, a new life in him. And this is what I and you, we need most. We need a restored life with God.
And Jesus promises that if you trust him, if you say yes to him, he will give you that new life. And this invitation is for you, and not only for you, but for all people. God's yes is offered to all, including yourself, to all who believed in his name, to all. All means all. This means that salvation is open to everyone who receives Jesus. You don't have to be a descendant of Abraham to qualify now for the covenant promise anymore. You don't have to have the right degree or go to the right college or have the right job or have the right citizenship papers. You don't have to be a particular age or race or gender or religious background. You simply need to believe, to trust God's yes for you, to trust his yes with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. One of the glories of Christianity is to reaffirm this unqualified universal invitation that all who receive him, who believe in his name, he will give power, power to become children of God, born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. To say yes to God, to believe in him, is to open yourself to God's very power in your life, to make a new relationship with him. We can't make ourselves new. We can't make ourselves reborn. This requires the power of another. And the gospel promises that we can become a new creation. We have a new life. We can be born again by being born of God. To trust God is to allow God to change us from the inside out. Our yes to God opens us to a new life through God. Salvation is not something we take into our own hands. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot get on a diet plan and a self-improvement plan and a spiritual fitness plan and save ourselves. We cannot solve our deepest problem. The good news, however, is that problem has been solved once and for all, for all people in Jesus. And all we have to do is believe, to believe in him, Jesus, the one who makes creation, who enters creation, who saves us from our own sins. This gives all who believe in him a new identity in life. To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Children of God. That's it. That's our status. Who does not want to be significant? Who doesn't want to matter? I do. And so I plan, I work hard, sacrifice. And I imagine you do too. That's why you think if I just get that grade, if I could just make that team, if I can just get that relationship, if I can just get that job, then, then finally I'll arrive. And then I'll matter. But there's no more significance that matters than to be granted the title, the status, the identity child of God. I worry sometimes that in the church, the basic simplest truth in our lives, the gifts of God, have no longer seemed dramatic. To believe in God means that we become children of God. This is your identity, and identity is important. As I said on Friday in chapel, it is the most important question you will ask and answer while you're in college, while you're alive, is who are you? Because if you know who you are, you know what to do. 
Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will become a child of God. And as a child of God, you will know how to live. God's yes means that you matter. You are God's child now and forever. When your identity is in Christ, no matter how others see you or you see yourself, how others feel about you or how you feel about yourself, how you think about yourself, perceive yourself, you are valued. You are a dearly loved child of God. Friends, Hope College, this is God's epic story of salvation. It's God's story. But he's inviting you to make it your story. Find your place in it. The conflict of our rejection is answered by God's acceptance. By God's yes to our no. And what he's inviting us to tonight is to say yes back to him. Will you, tonight, say yes to God? And maybe you have again. Maybe you have in the past, but you need to again. Maybe the fires are low. Maybe you've been participating in things that have just taken you away from the path God wants you to be on. But tonight, tonight can be a new beginning. To all who received him, who said yes to him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, born not of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. He has said yes to you. Say yes back. And if you do, you'll get a new identity, a new status, you'll experience a new kind of power. And you will be invited. You'll be invited to have a reservation at God's large covenant table of grace, a table where we once again find ourselves with Jesus, a table where we hear God's epic yes that will silence all of our no's. So tonight, come to the table. Say yes to the God who says yes to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all the people said, amen.